Hey everyone, welcome to episode 96 of the Upper Memory Block Podcast. This is your host, Joe, and I am back with uh, another guest show. Uh, things are still going on with baby, and life is still crazy, but calming down. And uh, so we've got Father Beast here with uh, a really cool episode on Sid Meier's colonization. So looking forward to what he has to say about that. Uh, before we get to him... However, I figure I'll give you a little update on uh, state of things, what's coming up, blah, blah, blah. So uh, next Saturday, December 3rd, uh, we're having finally, <laughs> if everything works out, uh, trial number try number two for our sixth Patreon hangout, which is going to be all about game music and game sound. I know this is a big one that everyone's been looking forward to. We were going to have it back in October, but uh, hey, the baby showed up a little early, and uh, so we had to delay that until next week so looking forward to having a chat with everyone about that and also uh up and coming on uh the guest docket is uh we've got an episode from jenny coming uh about i have no mouth and i must scream so a really cool adventure game based on a novel and uh if you have comments or memories or thoughts or anything about i have no mouth and i must scream drop me a line at podcast at umbcast.com i will forward them on to jenny and she will integrate them into the show or i will or whatever but uh memories about that cool game then uh drop me a line then we have the uh next upcoming official podcast from me the long-awaited episode on star trek the next generation of final unity uh coming probably some point in the in december after the hangout uh over the holidays i'll be home i'll have time to uh to get things under control so that's that and take it away father beast i'll see you soon bye bye can you establish a thriving colony and win the war of independence from your european masters find out with Sid, Sid Meier's colonization, here in the Upper Memory Block. Welcome to the Upper Memory Block. Games from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Upper Memory Block, a podcast about PC games from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. I am your guest host, Father Beast. I want to thank Joe Mastriani for giving me this opportunity to host on this podcast. I also want to thank the appropriately nicknamed UM Baby for taking up a lot of his time, so Amaria Akago, me, and hopefully others have the chance to participate in this great podcast. You know, I was a little shocked when I heard that Joe was going to have a baby. For some reason, I was under the impression that he was around the same age as Rico Dosti of the Trex and Sci-Fi podcast, which is another podcast I can heartily recommend. That is, of the age for a child to be getting married, not the age for a child to be being born. So when Joe put out the call for people to do uh, guest shows on his podcast, I initially dismissed myself as being too busy. But then Amaria Akago's episode on The Neverhood came out, which was episode number 95, and I started thinking about how I would do a show. 
Now the first thing to decide be what game to cover. Akago picked his favorite game, but Joe already uh, covered my own favorite game in episode uh, number 16 on Star Control. Then I remembered my best game value ever purchased. With $20 at a Kmart, I bought two double packs of games on CD. One pack had XCOM UFO Defense and Master of Orion, which were already covered in episodes number 4 and number 35 of the Upper Memory Block. The other pack had Civilization and Colonization. Now, while I have a great love for all things Civilization, I was not about to take the big one away from Joe. Perhaps he will cover that on episode 100 or 150 or 200 or something. So that leaves Colonization, which I think Joe would take a long time to get to covering, if ever. So having picked the game to cover, the rest of the podcast fell quickly together in my mind. I then emailed Joe to ask his permission, which I got, and here we are. So enough of my ramblings, let's move on to the coverage of the game. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block. Time for Overview. Okay, we start out with the genre of the game. Sid Meier's Colonization, or Colonization for short, is a strategy game. To narrow it further, it is a turn-based strategy game. To narrow it further still, it is a 4X turn-based strategy game. Now, 4X was fully described in episode 35, the Master of Orion episode, but in short, a 4X game is one in which you are placed in charge of a small group or place or something, and you build it up to a large and powerful thing by use of the 4Xs, which are Explore, Expand, Exploit, and Exterminate! Okay, on to gameplay. You start the game and you have two main choices in a new game. You can start in America, which has you exploring and all those other X's in an approximation of North and South America. Or, you can start in a new world, which generates a random land to play in. Then you choose your difficulty, choose what country you're uh, working out of, each which has uh, uh, certain advantages. England gives you better immigration. Uh, the Netherlands uh, give bonuses to trade. The French uh, get along with the natives better. And the Spanish uh, get bonuses for uh, for wiping out native villages. So you make these choices and you are off to the races. The game starts in 1492 with a ship on the ocean. And a note that if you sail west, which means move to the left, you will discover a new land. So you do that and you can unload your two units onto land where you can start a new town. Now it's important to note that any unit that is a person, that is not a ship or a wagon train, for example, can found a new town. It doesn't take a special unit. You can even use your two starting units to start two different towns if you wanted. So anyway, you found a town and you are taken to the town screen. Okay, it's actually called the colony screen, but I still call it the town screen. On the right is a rep representation of your town square and the eight squares immediately around it. The town square itself uh, produces some food and par some of another resource all by itself. 
you can put people to work in the squares around your town. But here's the thing. When you put a person to work in a square, you can have him doing any number of things. You can have him cut wood as a lumberjack, or plant sugar, or tobacco, or cotton, or trap for furs. You could even have him plant actual food to feed your citizens. To the left is a representation of the town and the basic buildings in a starting town. You can also put people to work in those buildings doing various jobs. Now I know that this is all abstracted and each figure represents a thousand or ten thousand people or some such, but for gameplay purposes I just find it easier to think of them as individual people at their jobs. Also important to note is that you can put anyone to work doing almost anything. You will have people who are expert at one thing or another, such as uh, master sugar planters or expert carpenters, but you can set them to work doing any job you like. They just get big bonuses for doing the job they are expert at. One important job in the town is the carpenter, who builds new buildings for you. However, he can't do that without wood being supplied him by a lumberjack. Most uh, early buildings can be made with just wood, but later buildings require tools. How do you get tools? Well, they're made by a blacksmith in your town, but he needs ore to make tools, which is supplied by an ore miner. Later on, you can also have someone work as a gunsmith to turn tools into muskets, which you're going to need. If you want to put a, send a person outside your town, you just grab him and place him outside the fence. In this case, he becomes whatever you equip him to be. Give him tools, and he's a pioneer, able to make roads and plow land and such. Give him horses, he's a scout. Give him muskets, he's a soldier. Give him muskets and horses, and he becomes a dragoon, which is sort of a faster, stronger version of a soldier. Or you can give him nothing at all, and he's just a guy hoofing it over to your next town, or wherever you want to send him. Along the bottom of your screen is a series of little boxes indicating how much of each of a lot of different kinds of items are stored in your town. By people working in your town buildings, you can turn sugar, furs, cotton, and tobacco into rum, coats, cloth, and cigars, respectively. Your town also produces a couple of intangibles, which exert a sort of philosophic pressure in the game. The first is crosses, which are generated by a church. More crosses if you put someone to work as a preacher in your church. Crosses produce religious unrest back in Europe, and cause hopeful immigrants to appear on the docks in Europe, waiting to be transported to the New World. The other is Liberty Bells, generated by your town hall and any statesman working in your town hall. Liberty Bells have two main effects. The first is that they're something like technology. There isn't any regular technology progression, such as in civilization. But uh, there's a, but your Liberty Bells produce a sort of a similar effect in that you, after you build up a number of Liberty Bells, you add a, uh, quote, founding father to your, quote, uh, Continental Congress. Each person you unlock has an effect, such as improving production of something or reducing a native unrest. The second and probably more important effect of Liberty Bells is that they slowly convert your people from loyal to the, to the king into rebels. And if you reach 50% rebel sentiment in a town, you get a production bonus. If you reach 100% rebel sentiment in a town, that pr production bonus doubles. On the other hand, if you grow a town too much without enough rebels in the town, you get a penalty to your production. So keep an eye on those Liberty Bells. One last important thing about your towns. I've talked about experts, and you may be wondering just how to get the experts. 
Well, I've heard that working a job will sometimes make one an expert, such as a free colonist working as a carp carpenter could become a master carpenter in time, but I don't recall it ever happening except with soldiers, so it must be very rare. Experts of one kind or another will sometimes appear on your immigration docks, or you can pay a premium to get one in Europe to bring to uh, the New World. But your main way is by building a school in your town. You then have to pull your expert off his valuable work and put him in the school as a teacher to teach his craft. Then, every handful of turns, either a free colonist will learn his skill and become an expert like he is, or one of your second-class citizens, uh, indentured servants and petty criminals, will be upgraded towards being a free colonist. Not all skills can be taught in the basic school, so you may need to upgrade to the later ones, uh, a college or a university. Getting back to the tangible stuff in your town, you can put some of this stuff on your ship and send it back to Europe to sell it off, as well as pick up any immigrants waiting on the dock. You select your ship, tell it to head for your European port, and it will move into the ocean and disappear, and some turns later will appear in Europe. Your view of Europe is just a dock. You sell your stuff by dragging it off the ship, and you can also buy stuff by dragging it onto your ship if you really want. If you leave a cargo slot empty on your ship, it will take a waiting immigrant with you to the New World. Of course, all new arrivals from Europe are initially loyal to your king. Speaking of the king, every now and then the king raises your taxes, which start at zero. Sometimes it seems like a perfectly reasonable reason, like paying for a war. But sometimes it's something frivolous, like getting a Christmas present for his eleventh wife. You can either accept the new tax, in which case you will kiss his pinky ring and, and he will take a bigger cut of what you make at the dock, or you can refuse, in which your tax doesn't go up, but be careful, because your citizens will take a bunch of your hard-produced, of some hard-produced item, throw it in the sea, and you can't sell that item in Europe anymore. Well, until you pay your back taxes. At the beginning, a tax of 1 or 2% isn't too bad but it gets really onerous as the tax rate approaches 50% or more. Plus, I keep getting the feeling that he, the king is using the money that he's extorting out of me to buy troops for the expeditionary force that he's building up. Meanwhile, back in the New World, you can build wagon trains to go trade with the natives, or move stuff between your towns, such as bringing uh, furs from a town that produces furs to a town that turns furs into coats. And you will also move out and run into other people. The first people you will likely run into are the natives. They are usually n nice enough at first and welcome you, sending wagon trains to their camps and being nice. But as you expand, they will get more alarmed as you get bigger and bigger. And no matter how peacefully you may intend to live, your expansion will eventually be crowding them out. There are a few ways of exploiting the natives, one of our favorite X terms, exploit. You can trade with them for some profitability. You can send unskilled colonists to live with them and gain a skill. Only one person uh, is trained per village. Or you can send a missionary to reduce alarm and produce the occasional convert that, will, that you can send to go work in your fields. Or you can take a military force and wipe them out and get lots of gold. Also out there is your rival colonies from other European countries, which are probably the most likely to come and pick a fight with you. A really odd thing about war, wars with uh, other colonial powers 
is that nobody seems to die. If you attack a dragoon and win, he loses his horses and becomes a soldier. If you attack a soldier and win, he loses his guns and becomes a colonist. If you attack a colonist, you capture him and he becomes your colonist. You can even go have him pick up some guns and horses, if you have them, and send him to go fight his former countrymen. If you are able to wipe out an invading army, it can be quite a boost to your colony population. Ultimately, your goal is to declare independence. You can declare independence any time your towns average 50% or more rebel sentiment. But beware, when you declare, the king will send his royal expeditionary force to come and beat you down. If you don't have much of a military, it could go badly for you. We are outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned. On the other hand, any liberty bells you produce after declaring independence go toward enticing one of the other Europe European powers to send you some men and ships, and perhaps you can beat the king's forces. If you win, you've won the game. Hooray! If not, well, you can always start another game. And that is basically colonization in a nutshell. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block. Time for Tech Focus. Okay, time for Tech Focus. I actually don't have very much about this. Sid Meier's Colonization was published in 1994 by Microfoes. It came on 3.5-inch floppy disks, although later it was put on CD-ROM, which is how I got it. To run this, you need at least a 386SX uh, machine, although a full 386 with 333 MHz processor was recommended. You needed DOS 5.0 or higher, and at least 565K of conventional memory available. Conventional memory, you might remember, is that part that uh, exists below 640K. You needed VGA graphics, which would display in a glorious 320 by 240 resolution, I think. And a mouse was also recommended. That there, was, there are ways of playing with the keyboard, and it takes a couple pages in the manual to explain this. The music for this game was composed by Jeffrey Briggs, and it will play on your AdLib... Roland MT32, or Pro Audio Spectrum cards. A colonization for Windows was released in 1995 for Windows 3.1, although later upgraded to Windows 95. It required a Pentium processor and SVGA slash XVGA graphics, and would display at a blinding 1024 by 768 resolution. And that's about all I've got. Information on colonized for colonization for Windows is hard to get, and a supposed manual for the Windows version apparently doesn't exist. At least I can't find it. Moving on. You are listening to the Upper Memory Lock. Time for Development Story. Now, since the name of the game is Sid Meier's Colonization, you might be thinking that Sid Meier is the one behind this game. Well, Sid was indeed involved in the game design, but a lot of this game comes from Brian Reynolds. If you want to learn more about Sid Meier, you can check episode uh, number 61 
of the upper memory block, which was about uh, Sid Meier's game Silent Service, in which uh, Joe did a in-depth history on Sid Meier. Anyway, Brian Reynolds is an American game designer. Born in 1967, he made his first game sale to Softside Magazine in 1981. So, let's see, that means he would have been 14 at the time. That was for a text adventure called Quest, which is such a common name that it is just referred to Quest 1 in the histories. Fast forward to 1991 or 1992, when he was a graduate student in philosophy at Berkeley. He realized that he didn't like his philosophy program, and he wondered what else he could do. So he said to himself, Hey, I used to like programming and making games. So he made a demo disc that had VGA graphics and ad-lib sound that he had programmed himself and sent it off to Microprose and Origin. Microprose hired him, and he quit school. At Microprose, he was uh, started off and he became programmer for three adventure games, Rex Nebular and the Cosmic Genderbender, Return of the Phantom, and Dragonsphere. Uh, by the way, Dragon, I think Dragonsphere is free on uh, GOG.com. And then he got the chance to design a game along with Sid Meier, which became Colonization. Brian describes the experience as sort of an apprenticeship with Sid, as he would bring in the ideas, and Sid would refine the ideas and find the fun uh, parts. The game manual says that colonization was to, made to give players of civilization another good playing experience. I'm sort of given to wonder if Microposin had quite grasped the concept of making sequels to games at this point. Well, they were about to, as the next game Brian Reynolds worked on after colonization was Civilization II, where he was lead designer and lead programmer. Uh, Brian says that Sid was involved in uh, Civilization II in name only. And uh, I've also heard the story that he uh, went home and coded the uh, engine for Civilization II over a weekend at home. After Civilization II, Brian, Sid, and others left Microfoes to form Firaxis Games, where they made Alpha Centauri, which is another Civ-like uh, beloved game. Brian uh, was also involved in the early development of Civilization III, but he left Firaxis Games early on in that development to found his own game company, which he called Big Huge Games. Big Huge Games then made uh, Rise of Nations as their premier game, and Brian Reynolds still makes computer games today. As for the game of colonization, it was still there in the past, occasionally lauded, occasionally uh, championed by a, a few civilization players who played it on the side, but most people went on to play uh, Civilization 2 and its sequels. Then, in 2008, Civilization 4 Colonization was published, which is basically a mod of Civ 4 to turn it into Colonization. It is not exactly the same, but it is still quite enjoyable to play. You are listening to the Upper Memory Lock. Time for feedback. Well, I really wanted some feedback for this show, but there seemed to be rather a shortage of people I could contact who had actually played this game, so I reached out to the guys at church, and one of them responded. So, this email is from Ogre Pete. Ogre Pete writes, I have only played three games of colonization total, 
and it's a Civ 4 version of colonization. I don't remember ever playing the original version of the game back when it was originally released in 90, 1994, though I do remember seeing it on store shelves and salivating. I do, however, have a lot of experience playing Sid's excellent Civilization series, mainly skipping the original and starting with Civ 2, then 3, and 4, my favorite. I've dabbled in Civ 5 and have yet to pick up Civ 6, but plan to do so at some point. I was extremely pleased to find out recently that 2K Games, the publisher of the, for the Civilization series, has an offer to hand out a Steam key to owners of Civilization for whom the game will no longer work on Windows 10. Just email them and they'll ask for proof that you own the game and then they're handing out a Steam key for the game. It went very smoothly for me, smiley face. Civ 4 Colonization uses the Civ 4 engine to bring back to life the original colonization game theory brought to life in 19, 1994. I couldn't believe how USA-centric colonization the game is. Not that there is anything wrong with that. It is just so different from games being produced today where everything is designed with both a global audience in mind and America's history is rarely brought up as something good to be emulated. Pretty interesting that two decades makes that big a difference in game design and culture. Frankly, I love the reminder that it took working people taking up guns and fighting to found this country that I love. It wasn't professional soldiers that won our independence. It was shopkeepers, farmers, fishermen, miners, etc. Common people and elites alike risked life, limb, and property when they declared revolution against the English and King George. So my experience in Civ IV's version of colonization is just getting used to the game and finding how it differs from Civ IV. My first game I played all the way to turn 375 or so and finally got to declare a revolution against the Dutch crown. One thing that I belatedly realized is that soldiers don't cost food or any other sort of maintenance. I'd spent most of the game wondering how I was going to support an army that could possibly defeat the crown's expeditionary force almost equal to my entire colony's population when I couldn't afford the food to build up revolutionary sentiment. Anyway, I got wiped out when I spread my soldiers throughout my reign, then declared revolution, only to have the Dutch land their expeditionary force next to my best colony, the capital. I did fight them off a turn or two, and then succumbed to superior numbers and superior troops. Sad face. Another thing I realized late in the game is that was that Liberty Bells are useful in two ways, in addition to the small production bonus they give you. First, they get you closer to being able to declare revolution, and second, Liberty Bells act as culture points do in the regular Civ IV game and expand your borders to push on the other players around you. The French had spent the game developing Liberty Bells, and I hadn't. Their border colonies were pushing on mine pretty hard. I was very afraid the French were going to start flipping my border colonies, so I declared war on them to both test the fighting part of the game, I hadn't had any fights with the natives and didn't until my third game, and to pre prevent my colonies from flipping. Well, when I went to war against the French colonies, it became clear to me that my soldiers didn't cost any food or other support, even though I, I was on the attack in enemy territory. Having played Civ IV, I knew that sending an army into enemy territory becomes quite a large drag on your economy a good incentive to get the fight over with quickly. So soldiers are not costing any maintenance was not what I ex expected, but Civ IV and colonization are clearly not the same game. Taking out the French was relatively easy. I wonder if the computer was taking it easy on me since I'd chosen a lower difficulty level. Toward the end of my conquest of the French colony, I realized th that the French expeditionary force was landing and attacking. I have no idea when the French colony declared revolution. Though, was it before or after I declared war on them? 
And why would they declare revolution when they were occasionally, when they were essentially fighting for their lives against me? My second game, I went for lots more food producers and got spread out among three different islands. That really didn't work well. The English colonies successfully, successfully defeated the English expeditionary force before I even got going on my final run-up to declaring revolution. Clearly, I have a lot to learn. My third game, I decided to grab some land from natives without paying for it. I didn't think it would matter, but about forty to fifty turns later, the Aztecs declared war on me and just about, about wiped me out. I literally didn't have any soldiers and my ship was in very poor position to get to Europe to buy some guns and bring them back to the colonies. Well, I did lose half my colonies, but the remaining two had guns I could use to turn a settler into a soldier and then hide behind my walls. So I did survive the onslaught, and then did some slaughtering on, of my own. Thirty or so turns later, I destroyed the Aztecs after bringing several cannons and soldiers and two hundred guns from Europe. So now I'm rebuilding my colonies and hoping to be able to catch the English and French colonies before they successfully declare a revolution. So far, it's been lots of fun. Though the reason I've had time to play so much in the last five days is that I contracted strep throat. My wife and two children were diagnosed with strep throat a couple of weeks ago, and then five days later, like clockwork, I came down with it. I felt physically awful and had no desire to do much of anything but sit on the couch and veg. I'm glad I had Civ for colonization to explore. All right. I want to thank you, Ogre Pete, for that great email coming through when uh, I didn't have anybody else. And that's all the feedback I've got. But if you still want to write in about colonization, you still can. Send your emails and voicemails to podcast.umbcast.com and Joe will read them or play them on a future show. You are listening to the Upper Memory Lock. Time for Final Verdict. Well... Before we get to the final verdict, where can you get colonization today? This one is fairly easy. Sid Meier's colonization is available on both GOG.com and Steam. Both are the DOS game running in DOSBox. Civilization 4 colonization is also available on Steam, and it runs on Windows 10. Additionally, there is an open source version out there called FreeCall, which, as the name implies, is completely free. I have not tried it, though. One more thing before the verdict. This game might cause some offense because you can participate in the subjugation of the Native Americans, one of many shameful uh, periods in human history. Personally, I don't find this a sticking point as I play games such as Civilization, in which I can start a nuclear war, and a popular game out there these days is Hitman, in which you play a truly evil person. But for those who are interested, I'm including a link to an article that explores, explores this subject in great detail. It is entitled, Is Colonization Offensive Enough? Now, for my final verdict. I believe this game absolutely holds up, even 22 years later. It can get macromanagey towards the end, and I never did learn how to use the trade route making feature, and sometimes you can forget how a tiny figure of a particular type of specialist is dressed, especially when the, when the f figures overlap each other in a town of 20 or more. But despite these niggling difficulties, the gameplay is engrossing. 
I'm always thinking about how to expand next, how to protect my towns, what goods I'm going to bring to market, and, of course, looking long-term to, f to facing the king's forces. This is a great game and worth far more than the five bucks I spent back in 1997. If you like strategy games, get it. If the primitive graphics really put you off, go ahead and get Civ Four Colonization, but know that you're missing out on the original. So, what's coming up next? I don't know myself. I do hope Joe will learn the art of being at the computer with a baby on his lap. And I also hope there are other guest shows out there coming somewhere. But I don't know what and when. But whatever come ne comes next, I will be watching for it. So join us next time for another game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era, whatever it is, here in the upper memory block. You have been listening to the Upper Memory Lock with Joe Mastriani and special guest Father Beast. Games from the DOS and pre-Windows XP Gaming Era for more information on the podcast. Visit UNBCast.com That's UNBCast.com Write to Joe today at podcast at unbcast.com. That's podcast at unbcast.com. Now go have fun.